On this episode of Crazy Talk, I spoke to my friend Stephen about his experiences with borderline personality disorder or BPD, including the difficulty of being diagnosed correctly, how it's affected his life, treatment, and how BPD is represented in society. Stephen currently lives in Singapore, so we also touched on cultural differences in the treatment of mental illness, and as this episode was recorded in the middle of the coronavirus lockdown, we discussed how this also played into his mental health. It was great to learn more about a mental health condition that I know very little about, and Stephen spoke completely openly and honestly, so hopefully listeners will find this episode as insightful as I did. Please note that trigger warnings for this episode include BPD, panic attacks, anxiety, social anxiety, and a brief mention of suicide. As always, we've included links for a number of helpful resources in the episode description, as well as details on how to keep up with the podcast and how to get in touch with us if you want to give any feedback or suggestions on what topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. We really hope you enjoy this episode. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Stephen. Hi. <laughs> Stephen's on the podcast to talk about um, borderline personality disorder, which is great because it's something that I don't know very much about and um, so thank you for offering to do that it's really cool do you want to start maybe on a bit of a background um, on BPD for listeners who might not have heard of it or might not know much about it uh yeah of course so for background I was diagnosed with BPD last year after being misdiagnosed with depression and anxiety several years before mm-hmm. then um, and it's really common to be misdiagnosed if you have BPD because the symptoms line up with other mental illness symptoms so well. Um, okay. So the way it manifests is your emotions sort of only really operate in extremes. And so you're either really, really manic or almost feeling nothing. Um, and it just swings back and forth. So I had a therapist who once drew a graph uh, of the normal emotional range, or not normal, the typical emotional range someone would have. And then in a very unhelpful way, she got her pen out and pointed miles off it and went, so you'll be up here, and then you'll be all the way down here and pointed at the bottom of the page. Helpful. (laughs) There's lots of passive-aggressive therapists in Singapore. Well, I got a bit of that with... um... Just when I was obviously not the same, but when I went to therapy recently for a panic disorder, and she said, "Okay, so this is how normal people experience fear," mm-hmm. and then this is you, and she, I was like, "Not on the page." <laughs> <laughs> she just walks out the room. <laughs> She's like, "You're over here. Yeah, <laughs> you're on the other side of the building." So something which I think panic disorders have it as well. Part of the way it manifests is your brain can't assess risk properly, um, mm, and yeah. it, it releases a chemical which is meant to be when you're in danger. Uh, but it releases it in times where you're not in danger. And a very big BPD thing is a fear of abandonment. I'm currently on antidepressants to like control it. But until I was, if I thought someone was going to leave or someone didn't like me, my brain would release that chemical and it would consider itself to be at risk. It could be as trivial as like I tell a joke that people didn't like and then my brain would be like, you're dying. So then like the other big BPD thing is just really... Spontaneous might not be the word, almost somewhere between spontaneous and irrational decision making, uh, impulse, like mm. poor impulse control, because because you think you're in danger, uh, you start making decisions that objectively don't make sense. Okay. Um, but to you, it does. Well, that makes sense, because I think it's, again, sort of on a smaller scale. I've had that a bit with panic attacks things in the past where I'll suddenly be like I remember when I was at university in my first year and I was first experiencing panic attacks and I didn't really know what was happening and at some point I was just like I've got to go home I've got to go home to my mum's house and I basically just walked to the station in my pajamas with like no belongings <laughs> with nothing just got on the train and went like six hours up north and then my mum was like why are you here you didn't even tell me you were coming home <laughs> and I'm literally wearing my pajamas <laughs> but it was just that like pure panic so I don't know whether that might be a different kind of thing, but kind of, yeah, the, the vague concept of those kind of, um, yeah, like irrational, illogical yeah. reactions. To things. I'm definitely familiar with that. No, I've, I've had very similar where it's almost been like that, but I've been like, I need to go and see this person right now uh, to see if they hate me or not. Okay. So you, you try to go because in your mind, if they hate you, it's a dangerous situation to be in. And then everyone else who's sensible is like, no, Stephen, it's 3 a.m., go to bed (laughs) that's a good thing i think when you've got friends or people around you that sort of understand 
maybe what's going on in your brain or like to some degree or they they kind of are used to it and they're supportive but at least they can tell you like no don't do this right now so we talked a bit about um the background of what it is and your experiences is there anything else you kind of wanted to mention about like how it's been for you or your experiences um with bpd um it's been like so much better since it correctly got diagnosed and I, it was almost diagnosed by accident uh, okay. because I was watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend which it, I, <laughs> I love um, right? Yeah. and the character gets diagnosed with BPD in it so they have an okay. episode that talks about it and I was a bit like oh that sounds like me and I had low-key been relating to a lot of the bad decisions she had made I researched it and then I had to go to a doctor who sent me to a psychiatrist and then eventually they diagnosed it but I had to do such a large amount of research into it on my own mm. um, and it's that you kind of do all the work yourself yeah. to get that and you almost sort of have to argue with them to like present your case before they'll even consider it. I think that happens for, I definitely know other people who maybe with different conditions, but they've had that similar experience of either they're diagnosed with one thing or they're not diagnosed with anything at all and they know that there's something not quite right. Mm -hmm. And then they do the research or similar to you, they hear about it through like a different platform or something they're watching on TV or something they're reading about. And then they're like, hang on a second. Um, and then actually they have to exactly how you said, like try and like persuade the doctors or the people that they're speaking to that actually this might be something to look into mm. um the first thing i was ever diagnosed with was bipolar disorder which i definitely don't think i've ever had <laughs> i went to the doctor like i'm having well i didn't even know there were panic attacks at the time like it was that long ago and that like kind of right at the beginning of kind of having any kind of mental health issues but yeah and I was basically looking back I was just having really like chronic panic attacks and they were like yep yeah, bipolar disorder like they barely even spoke to me I didn't even ask me any questions <laughs> <laughs> this feels right yeah it's why sometimes they just like pick something out of a hat and they're like we'll, we'll give you this <laughs> I had one doctor and it was the most infuriating thing where they said it sounds like borderline personality disorder but i won't diagnose you because people often don't want to be diagnosed with it and i was like but that's but one that's not how that works and two i do want to know but i'm sure there are people that like don't want to be diagnosed with cancer but <laughs> they have it very good doctor <laughs> no <laughs> i think yeah that's something really important i'm really glad that you brought that up because um it's something that i hadn't really thought of talking about but it's definitely something that i've experienced and mm. like i say i know a lot of people who have so i think for anyone who's listening and maybe hasn't realized that you can do the research yourself yeah. and if there's something that you really feel strongly about that it is worth like keep at mm. it and like keep working at it um, and get them to actually listen to you and present the information like as hard as it is um because yeah quite often self-diagnosis is really important. A, a really good term i've heard for doctors who do that is medical gaslighting yeah that makes sense um mm. where they saw try to convince you that you're not sick really really unhelpful um, <laughs> you're gonna be able to start to recover from something or learn to cope with something if you can't even get like, confirmation that there's mm. something going on uh, lots of people can actually have ptsd from doctors mm. i read an article mm. it actually spoke about chronic fatigue syndrome and how yeah a number of people with that develop ptsd syndrome or ptsd symptoms from their negative experience with the doctors because they spend so long being told they're fine when they're not that, yeah i mean that does make sense because if you're being kind of gaslit in that way and the like, if you're already like suffering with something and then going through the stress and the trauma of having to keep going back to the doctors and being told that you're you're imagining oh there's nothing wrong like, i can imagine like how traumatic mm. that would be and how it would, would kind of stick with you because um so. i mean we spoke about the importance of self-diagnosis but it's also researching it yourself can be really triggering yeah definitely. Um, i remember researching bpd and stumbling across like the fatality rate of it um which is mm. like this might be wrong is either 10 percent attempt suicide or 10 percent pass by suicide it's a really high number yeah i think that makes a lot of sense that you need to i don't know there's definitely a balance and kind of a, a fine line between self-diagnosis being something sort of more damaging or something that you kind of have to resort to mm. so yeah I guess a lot of people probably end up kind of stuck between yeah. that so one thing I wanted to mention as well is um so 
like I said, um, borderline personality disorder isn't something that I know a huge amount about. Um, but I was quite interested to see how you feel about how it's represented in the media or whether it is really represented at all or is it something that people aren't necessarily very aware of? I The only representation in the media I know about is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Okay. Um, I think it's the only show I can think of that definitely uses like the term for it. Um, I think a lot of shows will say BPD and it becomes really unclear if they mean borderline personality disorder or bipolar disorder. Um, yeah, they definitely get confused. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a big sort of confusion between the two and thinking they are the same when they're not the same. Yeah. Um, there's this show <laughs> and it's a children's show called Steven's Universe. Oh, and I have heard of it. I have friends it, It's amazing, it. but they released a final season which the main plot of it was dealing with the mental health of the main character. Uh, and they they um, don't refer to it as BPD or really give it any name, but it could very easily be BPD. Uh, BPD. Um, uh, and I, one, loved that it was in a children's show, and they they yeah. tried to soften it, so as much as they can but when they talk about the stress on his body from trauma they don't soften that and they say it not using any form of metaphor imagery they're very blunt about it so no i, do, I don't think media representation of it is very very good but we did have marilyn people think yeah i think i've heard that before um yeah well to be honest that's kind of to be honest that's sort of the answer that i expected mm. because it's something that i don't really see represented at all myself and so sort of the number of like I don't know different um, like social media accounts I follow and and the number of resources that I come across regularly about mental health um, or mental illness of like all all different types um, I, it's just one that I never really yeah. hear much about so it's quite interesting I think it's definitely something like it would be good to raise mm. more awareness of that yeah. I mean I think it's still so rare to have accurate mental health depiction in media. Um, and when yeah. it's done, it's, I guess the one I see most common is PTSD. Um, or the one I see depicted most faithfully is PTSD, which is, okay. uh, which is good because attention for any mental health is, is good. Going on a bit of a tangent, but I wonder if maybe PTSD is sometimes better represented because it's something people have been aware of for a bit longer with people sort of coming back from the war with. What, what they thought was sh- they called shell shock mm. and you're definitely right like I I feel like things like maybe depression and anxiety and things that people are becoming more aware of I'm starting to see them represented more um schizophrenia is definitely the one that I see misrepresented the most I oh think. yeah um it's not something that I'm sort of massively familiar with and it's not something that I've been through myself so I can't say that much about it but um having spoken to people who do have it they definitely agree that it's something that's completely misrepresented as people you have these characters in movies where it's meant to be like someone who's a scary character who has different personalities and that then they refer to it as schizophrenia which is not even like anything to do with the symptoms of schizophrenia um but it's just kind of become the word like connected to that kind of like presentation of certain characters and that yeah massively misrepresenting it it's definitely the one that comes to mind i mean media's done nothing really good for schizophrenia all it's done is frame it as something scary i think that's like the most dangerous thing that happens with a lot of mental health issues as well like is them being framed as something scary or you should be scared of a person who is suffering from that when it's just yeah not what it's like at all sorry that was a bit of a tangent there <laughs> i have a lot of opinions about mental health in that, yeah. <laughs> have you have you seen bojack bojack yes. has some episodes i thought were really good visual representations of mental health yeah uh, quite a few people have said that as well and i quite enjoyed it i feel like especially with elements of depression mm. that's definitely one of the one of the tv shows i feel like done it quite well and, and not sort of overplayed it too much when you see on tv like mental health which you identify with um i always mm. get really emotional when it happens yeah Cause... i'm definitely the same i think um maybe with me having sort of mostly an anxiety mm. disorder it's something that I see a bit more often now so it's kind of softening it a little bit but yeah when it's something that really hits home and it's someone who <clears throat> like they describe what they're going through in a way that's so relatable for you or so similar like it just makes you 
so emotional because it's still a bit of a surprise mm. to see it. Like these things aren't represented in the media accurately yeah. as often. Um, that Golden Girls episode, uh, Sick and Tired, which is all about medical gaslighting. The first yeah. time I saw yeah. it, I was like inconsolable. Yeah, I, I was imagine. at a friend's house, and I think my friend actually got really annoyed because I was also like a bit tipsy, and I was just sobbing. <laughs> that's understandable, though, and I think that that's quite like a niche. Well, it's not niche in that, like, it's something that, like we've talked about, happens quite often, but it's definitely not talked about or represented that much. So, yes, I mean, seeing something like that. The other thing, one of the other things I wanted to talk about a bit was um, you mentioned to me that um, you, certain triggers that you experience are kind of tied into what's going on right now with lockdown and the COVID-19. And um, so I wondered if you wanted to kind of expand on that a bit more and talk about what that's yeah, been like. Yeah, so... Um... The, there are two that have really tied in. In Singapore, we call it circuit breaker. So if I say circuit breaker, I, I really mean lockdown. The first one is my, like, my catastrophic scenario, as therapists call it, has always been being forced to be alone. Um, because mm. my, like, my brain can't distinguish between being alone and no one wanting to spend time with me. Uh, so, like, if I yeah. am at home on my own, even if I chose to do it, my brain will start to be like, oh, no one wants to see you, and that's why you're alone. Hmm. Um, and when we went into lockdown, I really struggled with that, and I went into, like, a massive depressive phase. Um, especially because I went into isolation a bit earlier because I was slightly exposed at one point. So you would see okay. people like out and about on Facebook and you know you couldn't be. So you start to sort of just yeah. sit there and mellow over it. Yeah. It's almost easier when everyone's going but sort of on the same thing. Like I found it a bit difficult to start with when I was feeling a bit wary of this. So we first went into lockdown and people weren't taking it as seriously here in the UK. And then once you get to the point where everyone's kind of well it's not really happening that no. much anymore but in the middle when everyone was kind of really scared and they were like everyone was actually staying at home like they should be then you almost felt a bit better because you're like you could see people posting things online or on social media of them kind of going through the same thing and being stuck at home with no one else um, um but yeah i can imagine what that would have been a sorry this is again a tangent but it's a conversation i've been having with some of my friends who have health conditions um that yeah. For lots of us, having to completely change your life because of health conditions or because of the threat of illness, uh, it has been a reality for a really long time. Yeah, and in lots of ways, uh, like my sister being one, doesn't struggle that much with the fact mm. she went into lockdown because yeah. she's like she's done it before, so it's not this completely new scenario. I don't know if you've had any experience like that. Um, I haven't so much, but yeah, I do remember you mentioning to me about um, your sister kind of having been through it before um, that like isolation due to like health things. Um, but yeah, it's like you're right, it's definitely like, really interesting to talk about as well because I think some people who they've kind of never experienced anything like that before for any reason, and it's such a shock to them. And, and you see how much people are really struggling now, even if they're kind of more neurotypical um with just the concept of being in isolation and being locked down and then you think actually there are a lot of people who have had to go through this before and it's not new to them and um, i think we forget that. i have um, some colleagues at work who said and it was great when they said it again i got a bit emotional uh they had realized mm. how privileged they had been and actually the fact that they thought you couldn't work from home was ableist um yeah. and they had like this very powerful check your privilege moment uh, which I thought was great, and I'm hoping more people have. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so good to hear that people have been and kind of actually had that because, yeah, I'm hope like you, I'm hoping that a lot of people go through that because so I've heard um, a lot of people talking about now, well, suddenly everyone is able to work from home and businesses and companies are making allowances for that and helping people set it up so they can work from home, so sending them the equipment that they need to their house and whatever, when actually there have been so many people who needed to work from home where it would have really helped them to be able to work from home for anything to do with accessibility or mental health or any other kind of health issues. Um, and actually people have been like their workplaces maybe have been really unhelpful about it and just not really listening and not really been willing to set that up when it's just for that one person. And then suddenly the government's making them do it and they're like, oh yeah, it's really easy. We'll just let everyone up to work from home. 
a lot of people have found like, right, mm. okay, so why couldn't you do this for me when I really needed it? Um, yeah. So yeah, I hope a lot of people like your friends that you mentioned um, kind of go through that realization as well. But it's nice to hear that people are kind of realizing that, mm. that they have. Um, I've also heard a lot of people who have actually found people with disabilities who have watched everyone get what they've wanted for ages have found it actually really triggering to them. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, like seeing that, I can imagine how in that situation, it, it might just make you feel quite, um, I don't know, kind of belittled or like people that don't sort of appreciate your worth as much if, if they can do it for other people, but they've not been doing it yeah. for you. Um, the, the other like way, sorry, circling back, the other way lockdown has tied into triggers, uh, it's sort of going yeah. back to what I said about being unable to correctly identify danger. Uh, when the news mm -hmm. started talking about how you need to social distance because other people are dangerous because they might have COVID. Um, and they don't say it yeah. so bluntly, but they say it enough that it almost gives you permission to start seeing other people as dangerous. Um, yeah, so I went definitely. two weeks not leaving the house at all, even though we were allowed yeah. to. Uh, and then the first time I went out after that two weeks, I had like a complete breakdown uh, because I saw two other people at the same time. And you're being told constantly. I mean, like you say that it wasn't that blunt, but at the same time, like, I mean, we're <laughs> being told that you don't know anyone else. And if you do, like, and you see people like avoiding one another in the streets and things, which obviously they're kind of meant to be doing right now. But I've, so I've also been, um, I've been delivering food for around in the kind of mutual aid for COVID around where we live where people are supporting one another if someone's mm -hmm. shielding they've been delivering like hot food for people that need it so i was helping deliver some of that and obviously because you're going to visit people who are shielding and um, even if you're just leaving the food outside the house they we wear like full um, gloves and a mask and everything but then you see people like if i'm wearing like more pve people will avoid me more in the street because it it's sort of a reminder that it's there and it is something that people are being told to avoid which i mean it makes sense like we're being told that for a reason but i can definitely imagine how if that's something yeah. that's a trigger for you anyway and then you're being told like yep yeah, that's right like your what your brain is telling you is completely right like right mm. now not be doing like, and the people anything. avoiding you which i don't know how i don't know how coy people are about in england but in singapore they're very blunt they were just like cross a road Same. that <laughs> starts to play into the idea of like no one liking you again it is it's a weird experience like even when that isn't so much of a specific trigger for me like it's still a bit like really disconcerting and like especially kids that don't really get it so i remember like a couple of weeks ago i was walking down the street with a mask on and there was a kid that was started shouting coronavirus is coming pointing at me and then his mum was like oh my god shut up like, this is so awkward and like dragged him away um, but actually, especially with kids as well, like if someone, if I'm walking down the street with a mask on and someone, even if they're like two meters away and they've got children with them, especially they'll drag their children away, like not even subtly and like drag them across the street, even if they're already like quite well spaced from me. And I'm like, okay, cool. And it is just a bit of a kind of a disconcerting feeling when people are like that. So yeah, I guess I, think so. I sort of worry about children who are at a formative age now who like this behavior might start mm. to become normalized and how easy it will be to almost train them out of it yeah. again once we're over this. My mum's a, a primary school teacher and obviously in the UK there's been a lot of talk about whether or not to send younger kids back to school and it doesn't make a lot of sense because they're kind of the youngest children and teachers being told oh just keep them all two meters <gasps> away from each other at all times but obviously with like four or five year old kids, like that's basically impossible. And you're gonna have to be like very like vigilant about it. So then you're getting these kids at really, really young ages are being told like, don't go near any of your friends. Like don't go home in physical contact with them. And you're probably having to say things to them quite bluntly to get them to even mm. slightly listen. So then like, I can imagine that as a kid, you're gonna be like terrified after that potentially. And then trying to teach them after it's like, okay, it's fine now. Everything we've told you no longer, no longer counts. Like we told you all of this very, really scared you and now it's irrelevant like it's just difficult. Mm. um i was just gonna say sort of like the fallout of having uh the those two triggers be activated so frequently uh is i went into yeah. slash am in what my therapist called disassociative episode which is where okay. your brain feels you are not safe to process your feelings anymore and it essentially just shuts down. Hmm. Um, and it releases a chemical comparable to morphine. Um, and it, 
really limits your like emotional capacity again and i had a online therapy session with her and she apparently recognized it from looking at me within like 10 seconds oh okay well, interesting that they can tell like that easily that's like it makes sense that something that kind of affects you that drastically that a therapist who's familiar with it i guess sees you and they're like yeah i can tell what's going on yeah i mean that must be so difficult as well like going through that like dissociative um periods when you're also kind of mm. going through the isolation and everything else that's going on around you at the moment um, and how they're apparently um not not going all the way as extreme as a dissociative episode but this feeling of numbness is becoming more common because uh people okay. just aren't fully relaxing because there's always a low level stress and their body just starts getting exhausted basically i can definitely identify with that i mean that answers some questions for me because i just keep wondering why i'm so tired at the moment when i'm sleeping so much more than normal but i think what i'm finding recently is that even if so if i'm doing like chores around the house or if i'm working so i'm working from home at the moment or anything else that i need to be doing and then i get to a point where okay i've done everything i need to do and i can just go sit in the garden for a bit or watch some tv like i've been finding it really really hard to do that so i'm like no i can't just go and sit down like i need to be doing something and it's almost like if i'm not doing something productive or just like kind of being active in some way then i panic because it's that then when you sort of remember that it it's almost feels weird to be relaxed when there's something that major going on in the background and you're constantly thinking about it so then it's almost like when you mm. relax you panic or that's kind of like for me so almost like avoiding relaxing on purpose at this point <laughs> like no don't do it don't sit down for too long i don't watch tv <laughs> um although i guess with tv it's kind of distracting oh i've watched so much tv i feel like netflix is getting me through oh, getting tiger through king is getting me through <laughs> oh yeah we watched that couple of weeks ago now and every time also when there were like the uk like when we had our like, boris johnson updates and i just didn't feel like i wanted to watch that as i couldn't put up with it i was like oh but tiger King on set. it makes more sense it's such <laughs> an interesting dynamic this like tear between wanting to see all the updates but also knowing that it's really damaging to see all the updates yeah yeah it's like you feel like it's almost you have this kind of duty to be aware of everything that's going on like you're meant to be clued up on it and you're being irresponsible if you're not but then at the same time like half of what they well most of what they say is mm. actually that useful a lot of the time and also like it can be so triggering and so stressful for so many people to watch um kind of be yeah watching something that intense when you don't necessarily need to and you can all yeah. read and catch up on it afterwards to be honest that's what i've done really i've stopped watching the updates and then afterwards i'll sometimes read like a summary when they write it on the bbc news website or something afterwards um if i feel up to it then i kind of still get the information in um in singapore they send daily texts about the cases that day uh so i don't personally get them i just ask someone else to send me the relevant information though i do that makes sense like i think the thing that's much more important for people to be on top of is researching the way that stress affects them because there's all these really good articles yeah. that talk about how COVID affects people and like being tired despite resting more is one of them which indicates that you're more stressed than you realise. And I've experienced that in the past. It's something that I'm already a little bit aware of that and I know that that's how my body works because of having issues with anxiety and things like quite often in the past. But I think for anyone who isn't so familiar with that or um, yeah, they're kind of still like exploring kind of trying to work out how their body might react and their mind might react to different situations like increased stress even when you're not fully aware that you're stressed um doing yeah that research would be really really useful and something for me to bear in mind and to like look into because i found it really helpful i think even though i've been like struggled like quite seriously with my mental health at different points um for probably the last like 10 years now and um, it's weirdly only in the last year that I've sort of reached that point in that kind of journey of like all the ups and downs where I've been doing a lot more research and reading and finding out more about like what I'm going through and like things like um a panic disorder um, and I've actually found that so useful but then looking back I'm like why is it only just now that I've been sort of doing more research and being kind of more proactive about it and I think it's because even though that's something really useful mm -hmm. it's not always easy to do and 
it doesn't always occur to you when you're in the middle of like going through like all of this trauma and everything else that's going on so um yeah I mean you're definitely right like, no. that was a bit of a, a ramble anyone who hasn't really done that yet it's just it can be so useful to do a bit of research and sort of identify like your own like I've gotten to a point where now I can tell I'm much better at telling when I'm about to have a panic attack or go into like really serious kind of few weeks of anxiety or or anything like that because of like little tiny things that I notice or things like feeling more tired um and yeah that helps me a lot because I can kind of not stop it in its tracks but start putting mm. kind of these self-care like things into place when I need it is, you are right though when it's it's so hard to actually find out I only got told by doctors this year after trying to find sort of answers for years and once you know it does it becomes yeah. so much easier it's almost really empowering to actually understand well it makes you feel like slightly more in control as well and I think with a lot of these things they're worsened by feeling like you have no control over your own mind or your own health or what's going on with yourself and feeling like oh my gosh can't don't have no control over anything and that's really terrifying but you get at least a little bit of that back I think or for me personally that's how it's been when I've sort of started I don't know like kind of research even things so I started doing some research into like certain foods and like dietary things that make me feel worse there's things I don't know I've like stopped eating as much sugar which sounds really really obvious that if you're struggling with like panic attacks that sugar is mm. going to make your heart rate faster but even though it's so obvious like I just hadn't ever really thought about the like the impact mm. that something so small might have and then when you can add up all of the tiny little things that I found out a bit more about um even though they're only small when they kind of all come together um it can yeah it can make do you it think it also has a so. multiplier effect because you know you're doing something probably yeah I think there's definitely an element of that um and that yeah that's I mean, about just feeling a bit more in control and it might be sort of completely like placebo effect for me but um yeah I think feeling like there's something you can do rather than feeling like oh my gosh I just there's nothing I can do I'm just gonna kind oh. of sit here and get worse it's and so it. so easy um, to fall into yeah. the oh this is life mentality yeah uh, yeah I get to that point quite often and I'm like nope this is it like, this... <laughs> I think knowing where to look for the information can be hard as well because and like like we've talked about as well with when you're being misdiagnosed or you're not really for me I was never really sort of given a name for it so I thought oh you've got anxiety which obviously like a lot of people have but when you just google anxiety it's like so vague <laughs> and then when I got to the point where they were like only recently they said right you like you're struggling at the moment with panic disorder and they were like this is why that's different to an anxiety disorder and they talked like the, my therapist taught me so much about it I think partly that was because it was the first time that I'd had proper I had CBT and that was the, the first mm. like, therapy I'd been able to get <laughs> a bit more yeah like kind of specific terms and things that they used um and then as soon as they told me that when I started googling like a panic disorder like the information was so much more specific like the, there were resources out there that I could use and like they pointed the therapist pointed me in the direction of all sorts of different uh, websites and resources and like different activities and things that you can do to try and like start to like reprogram your brain or calm it down when it's spiraling and mm. um, so yeah that just kind of goes back to what we were saying about diagnosis but so when you started getting cbd um when i started getting therapy i got I think DBD, a slightly different one, dialectic therapy or something. I went on this really weird emotional journey, I don't know if you'll relate with, of, because for so long I was quite defined by being quite manic and having all the symptoms of BPD that I wasn't sure who I was going to be anymore. Um, And Mm. um, like having a weak sense of identity is a really big part of BPD. It's one of the biggest symptoms. Like getting better, this massive thing of who am I going to be once it's over? And are people still going to enjoy me? I think, yeah, I definitely had an element of that kind of being like, okay, so obviously I want to, like, in an ideal world, I want, like, all of these feelings to go away. But then I'm like, but I'm so used to it. And I, that's been such a big part of me for so long. that I don't really know what happens afterwards. And I've also found that this sounds really silly, but over the last few years, I found myself, like, every time I'm watching a TV show or a film or someone, I, I don't know, when I'm, like, reading about, like, a certain celebrity or someone, my brain kind of tells me like oh you can kind of like model your whole identity like based on this character or this person because it's almost like I'm kind of subconsciously looking for something to replicate Mm. because I'm not secure in 
like my own identity as something that isn't like you know it's something that stands on its own on its own and so um yeah I think that might be kind of connected as sort of an aftermath of going through that therapy as well and and it's almost like I'm feeling a bit better recently but then in feeling better I'm like okay so yeah. what am I what am I like now like what are the defining characteristics if they're not having a panic attack and crying in the corner someone told me like three weeks into trying antidepressants that I had become more boring and I literally was like oh no should I aim to be boring or should I be crazy which one that's the least helpful thing for anyone to say. I definitely had that with medication as well, though, when I, because you read so much as well telling you that like medication, it kind of numbs you and makes you kind of, so my fear was always that, okay, it'll get rid of these like really awful feelings or help with them. But then what if it also means I don't feel like happiness? So I got it into my head for quite a while, that being on medication for like being on antidepressants would make it so that I wouldn't feel like the depression or the anxiety as much but it also just wouldn't feel anything um and you do like you read a lot online where people kind of like they they i think there's a lot of fear of that that then yeah there's kind of a bit of scaremongering and also you kind of yeah it's very easy to convince yourself that that's what you'll be like and it was only after i'd been on them for a few years and i was like it's okay yeah. i still feel joy sometimes <laughs> I mean, it must like i have so much bad experience with medication because it's so hard to get the right one mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had to try maybe, probably tried like 10 different ones over the years. And I think, I don't think that's uncommon at all. No, I've, I've only had five and I'm told that is considered a small amount. Uh, but I, then I also know quite a few people who they've started on an antidepressant or another kind of medication quite recently. And they're like, oh, this isn't working or it's having side effects that I'm not okay with. So they panic and they just come off it and don't. Go, don't go back to the doctor or don't talk about it at all because they just think that's what they'll all do and it becomes mm. so scary it's just yeah so quite often I'll talk to people about it and try and like mention like kind of what I've been through with medication and how um okay one might be awful but they're not all going to be the same like they can vary so much and it can take like it quite often takes quite a few attempts to find the one that works best for you and then now when I, I'm, I like, when I'm talking to someone who's on the same antidepressant as me, I'm like, yeah, high five. It's my oh, no, I haven't found anyone <laughs> else on mine yet. Well, I think mine's quite common. So I'm off the oxygen and I think quite a lot of people use that. Also, I joke about it because for completely different reasons, because um, it's so many different things. But my mum and both of my sisters are on it, as well as me. But like all like completely different things that we're all going through or have been at different times and I'm like oh it's like a little cult. Like, <laughs> it's got the house yeah <laughs> so we just joke about that and then like one of us will run out of a prescription I'll be like oh don't worry have some of mine yeah um, I like I recommend it to everyone now to at least try it that's the thing like it's not going to work like for some people they might just not get on with it at all but at least then you know like you've tried like, one of the biggest things that can help support mm. you um and even if you even if you use medication for a little while um whilst you're maybe putting other things into place or you use it in conjunction with something else like therapy quite often then yeah there's a lot of different ways to do it so totally different topic but i also kind of wanted to ask you about um what it's been like in terms of your mental health with um like moving away from home and living abroad um and you might have to kind of remind me of like where you lived at different points okay. or where you are right well, now I'm, as well I'm in Singapore now uh, I've been okay. here three and a half <laughs> years so I moved quite wow. quickly after graduating um and my dad okay. lived out here so I moved in with my dad and then oh, two okay. years in he moved to Hong Kong so then I now still live here but live uh with a housemate uh instead of him I think moving away wasn't particularly that triggering for my mental health uh what has been difficult is mental health just isn't a discussion in singapore um it mm. is i know sort of the taboo culture around mental health is bad in england it is so much worse in singapore i've heard that from friends um who live in like similar area as well um or friends that moved like kind of done the opposite and grown up there and then moved to the uk and they're like well you guys i like, think it's bad here but it's like a drastic improvement i am um, um, i've yeah. had my good doctors uh have said very openly like if while you're in singapore we can manage your mental health but we're never going to be able to make massive progress on it 
because the environment isn't right mm. I mean that's quite a big deal like for them to say that as well like, obviously like it's good for them to acknowledge that mm. but for the doctors to feel like they have to say that like, it really yeah shows yeah. like how big um, an issue we, it is. at work I work with uh Singapore Association of Mental Health quite a lot and they're great cool. but there's always this mm. weird dynamic because quite a lot of people who rely on them are people whose mental health isn't necessarily worse than mine I just got support and they didn't mm. um, and it's really yeah. like stark to see it not how not getting support like multiplies into the future where I disclosed uh, to a group who came in that I had BPD and one of them literally went but you have a job and they thought that they were like completely <laughs> fundamentally incompatible things. I do find like e- even here, like some people seem to think that about like even like anxiety or depression or like other things um, that right, you've got mental health issues, you can't work. And I'm like, well, it might be like, you know, a case of finding something that's that works for you, like depending on what you're going through. But yeah, it's definitely not um, an incompatible I, thing. I went to a suicide and mental health awareness training done by a local charity uh, and one yeah. of the therapists so I was the only person there who wasn't a therapist and one of the therapists was talking about mental health and they said it's not as bad mm. as people expect it to be uh, sometimes people with mental health can even go on to maybe be happy and I feel oh like gosh. that's such a low bar that doesn't sound kind of inspiring helpful just maybe <laughs> yeah I mean like that's how you feel like when you're like at the worst of it and you're going through that and you're like oh my gosh I'm never gonna be happy again like what's the point in everything but then yeah I mean it's different for someone to sort of like yeah mm-hmm. say that <laughs> training like that um because obviously looking back now I'm like yeah well I was yeah. wrong when I thought that in the past and sometimes I'll then go back into like if my mental health gets really bad again I go right back down to like oh like I'm never gonna be happy again I have to remind myself now you thought that last time and then you've had like some really good times in between like different episodes of really important mental health mm-hmm. but yeah it's, it's, I can't believe they said that it, it's getting like it's getting better and I guess something quite remarkable about Singapore is how rapidly things can improve um so like awareness mm-hmm. about physical disabilities now is like tenfold better than when I moved here three years ago and once wow okay it, once That's the conversation short. starts okay. it starts and happens really fast usually not always, but okay. I do guess, though, the biggest implication of living away from family in different countries, and in particular in different time zones, uh, is you really yeah. have to lean into the idea of a chosen family. And you have to find some people mm. who can help if you do have relapses. And yeah. What, yeah. what's a bit yeah. tricky in Singapore is it's there's like this joke, people are either here for two years or a thousand years. Uh, so people leave a lot so you'll get someone and you'll decide that they can be in your chosen family and that you trust them enough and then they leave yeah that must be really tough i have earlier no end of last year i had five months in a row where a close friend of mine left um every single month wow i think that's something i would really struggle with i do definitely kind of adopt friends to the point where i not my my best friends are just like more like extended family to me and I think I, every time one of them even like mentions moving abroad or something as kind of a hypothetical thing in 10 years, I feel like my chest go really tight. Like, no, don't move. <laughs> so, yeah, if I'm like that here, when it's not really happening. Then, yeah, People will bring it up and I'll just laugh and be like, Haha, what a funny joke, isn't it? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so we probably have to finish quite soon because um, we've been talking for a while, but I did want to ask before we finish whether you have any specific recommendations for things um, that might help people struggling with BPD or coping mechanisms or even just like any little things that, that you found quite helpful. Um, we sort of touched on it earlier but I mean so much of BPD is this loss of identity and this weakness in being able to identify when you're doing something damaging. Uh, so something that mm-hmm. I have to do uh is to really trust in other people um and i appreciate that's a really difficult thing to do but you really have to trust 
that if someone tells you something's wrong, it probably is, and you just haven't clocked it yet. I can imagine that something like sort of similar when I've had sort of had similar feelings, but not not quite the same. When I found it like really really hard to trust what people are telling me, but then it is something that you can sort of mm. practice kind of trusting people and what they're telling you like more and more and it becomes easier over time if you're kind of really I mean it does when you get it it really helps so like I have a friend I text almost every day at the moment and I literally just text being like not to be dramatic but everyone hates me um and I'll just be in that thought process and they'll text back talking me out of it that's really good like someone who understands it and is like kind of support system like that Um, I feel like it's the thing that people mention most often, like with anything that they're going through, when you ask like what really helps, like having that support system is, yeah, definitely. And I guess we look at it from what could other people do to help. It's, um, it is really hard to understand, but I'm always a bit like, you don't need to understand. You need to understand like what's mm. happening, but you don't need to understand why it's happening. Yeah, it's more just kind of um, like, Un- almost understanding the individual rather than necessarily understanding like the condition health condition that they're struggling with you kind of get used to like kind of get that relationship where someone knows you well enough to understand that these are the yeah. patterns that you go through quite often personally and this is how it manifests for you and, and they're kind of used to being around you and experiencing that and then like um, that in itself hmm. is, like, i don't know if you cool. relate to this but when i have like anxiety attacks I find it so unhelpful when people start trying to understand why you're having it. Like when it's actually happened. Yeah, I kind of do that to myself as well. And it's something that I'm trying to train myself out of when I'll start having a panic attack and I'll be like, right, why is this happening? Like trying to figure out the cause so I can get like something that I can get rid of that will make it go away. And I've had to kind of teach myself and then also like explain to people around me that that's not helpful because half the time that there isn't something or if there is something, it's completely illogical and it's just something internal, something that my brain is telling me that's completely irrational. Um, So it's more a case of, right, this is happening. How am I going to get through it? Like, what can I put into place that kind of helps calm me down a bit? Um, Yeah, that's been kind of an interesting journey to go through. No, I was thinking of if there's other advice... (laughs) Um, I get it's really like difficult because most of with all mental health is that you have to be really resilient um, and you just have to keep fighting through like bad therapists or bad doctors or scary news articles that's really good advice actually is that like you will probably go through all of those like the people who you go to for help like it's so important to like to encourage people to seek the help that they need but then also it's important to raise awareness that you won't necessarily get like the right doctor the right therapist like you said or like you might come across something that like an, an article that like you mentioned that something really terrifying or something that counteracts kind of the pro- progress you've made and you've got to yeah kind of try your best to stay resilient and fight past those and also I think if you do have a therapist or something that doesn't work for you like it's hard but being able to say yeah this isn't working for me I need to try something else or I need to mm. need a different therapist or something if that's something that's potentially available to you um which is tough especially when you, you're on a really long waiting list or like really it's really hard to get therapy if you can't afford private therapy but um yeah oh it's, it is, it is england sounds so difficult to get a therapist well i was really surprised so um my sisters both um when i was first like really ill when i was maybe 19 and i after i dropped out of university my mum started um, paying for like a private therapist for a while because it was so hard to get on the NHS waiting list. Um, but in reality, like we couldn't really afford that. And I maybe went a few times and then it didn't really work for me. So I kind of wasn't that keen, which probably worked out well because I don't think we could have afforded it for much longer anyway. Um, but then more recently, both of my sisters have been for completely different things, like put onto waiting lists for therapy through their doctor. So I think one of them for CBT and one of them for talking therapy. Um, And I know that like one of them has been on the waiting list for maybe two years. And the other one, it's been something like four and a half years that she's been on the same waiting list. Um, So that's what I was used to. I just thought, right, that's what it's like in the UK. Um, But then when last year I got recommended um, therapy for CBT through my doctor, they said, right, that's fine. Like, it will be about a month waiting. And I was like, and they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. It might take up to a month. 
And I was like, a month? I can't believe that. (laughs) The best part was, but then one week later, they called me and they were like, oh, this is your therapist. Can you come in this week? And I was like, what? I thought it was going to be a month. And I was so confused. I think she thought I was so weird on the phone because I was like, it's meant to be a month away. And I was just like shocked. But they basically just had a space for me early. So it was even shorter than that. And afterwards, I was thinking, well, there's probably a big difference between where I am in the middle of London and where my sisters are up in Cheshire when they're kind of in, almost in the middle of nowhere and there's just not as much, like, not as many resources. Like, obviously, in the UK, like, generally, there isn't, an, like, there aren't enough resources going into, like, mental health and people are really struggling still to get therapy and other support that they need. But it was quite interesting to see, like, just in, like, different locations mm-hmm. within England where it's quite small. Um, even that was quite like drastic and I mean yeah I think I think that's the only thing it could be really because other people I know in London have kind of had the same experience and then other people in more remote areas have then had the same experience as was what my sisters had. I so, started to theorize yeah, there aren't actually any therapists in England because I didn't know anyone who had got to see one <laughs> well that's what it was like for me when I was growing up in Cheshire and that's why like literally I was so shocked when this um, therapist in London called me and I was like no you must be joking <laughs> So, yeah, that was interesting. But, it, yeah, it's definitely still a big problem that people have these waiting lists for years and years and years. It's crazy to think about. Um, yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you wanted to add? No, I, I think that's... I think that's everything. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I, I think one thing that I've mentioned before, but something that I'm really keen to do um, since I started this podcast is get, like, anyone who's happy to come on and talk about, like, specific experiences that they've had or with certain conditions and certain, um, like, mental health conditions, like, it's really, really helpful because, obviously, Mm. I can only really talk about what I've been through and there's just such a massive spectrum of, even once you go into, like, each of the individual, um, like, different conditions or different things that people are going through, like, then the experience is different for each individual, like, struggling with that as well, so... Um, um, yeah, I really, really appreciate it. And, and thank you for <laughs> like giving people the stage to talk about it because it's so hard. It's so hard to like want to spread awareness but not know how to do it. Well, that's something like that's like really exactly why I wanted to start a podcast, to be honest. So now it's just a case of getting together all the episodes and then hopefully people will start listening to it. But that is exactly kind of the reason I wanted to start it because I remember when I first started struggling with my mental health I just felt so alone because I didn't even really know that 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 was a thing (laughs) so I had no idea and like even when um I was kind of starting to be diagnosed I was like okay so I'm the only person in the world that has this like I don't know how I was just like so narcissistic to think that when I was younger and then suddenly as I got older I was like oh wait hang on this is a thing that a lot of people struggle with so obviously since that was maybe six seven years ago now so since then it is there is a little bit more awareness but it's still something that I think there are a lot of areas people aren't talking about so definitely keen to share that as much as we can and include everyone who's keen to get involved thank you